the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking money investing retirement issues, trying to get you to retirement, trying to get you income in retirement. There's a lot of crazy headlines out there. None of them say retirement's going to look great. Most of them are saying quite the opposite. So tonight, Chad Burton, CFP, and myself will get together with a couple of financial planners at New Focus Financial, maybe a mortgage lender or two, and talk a little bit about income and retirement. Because there's a lot of ways to skin the cat, and don't skin a cat. Instead, come to an event tonight in Los Gatos at the Toll House Hotel, 630 to 830. Get there a little early. Traffic can be a little dicey at that time. Stay a little bit late. The Warriors will be on in the bar. Uh, watch the Warriors and Blazers game. So 6.30 to 8.30, CFP, Chad Burton, myself, uh, Toll House Hotel. Great location. Easy parking, free parking. Chad, how are you? Doing well, thanks. How are you? Good, good, good. Um, there are no headlines out there that say retirement looks great and it's it's looking awesome. Are there? Or do you, do you see those in your world? Um, no, I mean, I guess there's definitely more warnings. Warnings and fear sell more papers and publications, so... Uh, you know, the market, stock market has done really well since 2009. We've had one negative year since 2009 and one kind of flat year in 2015. Um, so the stock market has done really well, which has helped offset really low interest rates on bonds and CDs. Um, right. So while people are building wealth or having a great time, people that are living off their wealth, it's a little bit more daunting right now. I know I have very little discipline when it comes to ice cream in the middle of night. How often do you see discipline when it comes to sticking to a retirement plan when people spend and invest exactly like you want them to versus what reality actually looks like? Well, I would say that um, because the stock market's positive 70% of the time and negative 30% of the time, about maybe in the first five years, you probably have about 70% of the people out there sticking to the plan. Um, the other 30% kind of do that either overspending or if the market's bad for the first couple of years, they, they, they underspend and they don't do anything. So I'd say about 70% of the time, but it's really, you know, a financial plan, if you stick to it and you, and you spend what you thought you'd spend, your portfolio does exactly what you thought it would do. I would say it's about 0% over the 15 plus year period because things change, desires change. You get people that plan on traveling the country in an RV for the next 15, 20 years, and all of a sudden they have their first grandkids, and they're picking up moving from the Bay Area to Portland, Oregon, or Denver, Colorado to, to be with their next to their grandkids. Um, and markets are I, volatile. I hear that so one a lot. Kinda, yeah. yeah. And markets are volatile, so people kind of change and either feel like they can spend more when things are doing okay or feel like they need to stop spending altogether when, when you go through a rough patch, which is every five to seven years when you get those recessions. So you can use Monte Carlo simulation, though, 
And I read this great tweet yesterday, and I wish I would have pulled it up prior to this, but it was a, it was a CPA said this on a tweet, and he said, really, it's, it's a probability of adjustment versus probability of failure. So in Monte Carlo simulation in the world of financial planning, you can run these different scenarios, probability of or the, where you randomize all these different things like inflation and stock market returns and things like that and get a probability of success. Um, so a lot of times it's in terms of probability of success, but that also comes with what's the probability of failure. And it's not like a retirement plan just fails, Rob. You don't get to a certain point and say, oh, you can't do this anymore. You better sell everything and you know buy a tent. It's just not how things work. It's probability of adjustment. So I thought that was a pretty wise kind of thing to say is that you might retire with an 85% probability of success, which means there's a good likelihood there there's going to be adjustments throughout your retirement. People get to meet you tonight at the hotel, Toll House Hotel in Los Gatos. They can go to newfocusfinancial.com and sign up for the seminar. Will you be talking about the Monte Carlo simulation or the Monte Carlo sandwich or the Monte Cristo sandwich tonight? And what exactly is the Monte Carlo simulation? Because I don't think many people know. Right. Um, I don't know if I'll get into this a lot tonight because tonight's really about distribution okay. and, and tax planning. But Monte Carlo simulation is is one of the six main tests that we do to say, yeah, you're ready to retire. And so after you've kind of passed your linear test, which means if a really conservative rate of return happens on a portfolio, let's say five and a half percent over a long period of time, plus at least two and a half percent in inflation, um, do you have enough money to retire? Is that going to work? And then once we've gone through that process and then designed your tax and income plan, in other words, which accounts are you going to draw from first, and we set up a safe withdrawal rate, we then plug in your actual asset allocation once we design that. Where are you invested in terms of large cap, small cap, mid cap, international, emerging markets, bonds, cash, all those different things? And then you run a Monte Carlo simulation. And that just takes different asset classes. Now, every asset class has a standard deviation, Rob. In other words, let's say the S&P 500 may average 10% over your lifetime okay. or over the next 10 years or something like that, maybe 20. But it's got a standard deviation of 15. In other words, you're going to see returns that are as high as 25% or as low as negative 5 on average over that period of time. So it's 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 kind of shows how volatile it can be. And there's different rolling periods of returns. I mean, there was, um, from like 1959 to 1979, the S&P 500 only averaged 6.4%. But there's other periods of time, like from, you know, the, the 1980 to 2000, where the S&P 500 averaged 18%. What's going to happen to you in retirement? We don't know. There's all these variables, including inflation, because high returns could be offset by high inflation. So it takes all of these different variables and it randomizes them and, and runs thousands of different simulations to give you a probability success. And uh, you really need to know that before you go into retirement. It's interesting to mention inflation because I don't see a lot of inflation. It's not as big of a story as it was when I was a younger kid. But I'll take your word on it and I'll, I'll pay more attention to it. Now, what's the minimum probability of a success that you kind of give that wiggle room to allow for winning and losing? Our, our advisors will tell people, you know, you don't really, you shouldn't really retire unless you can get that number at about 85% probability of success. Um, because the other 15%, we can make it up typically with the withdrawal strategy. Um, what Monte Carlo simulation does is it assumes you're taking a specific amount out, um, and you might have to adjust it for inflation, but you can set up a withdrawal strategy. The, 
the strategy I use with a certain amount of cash and rebalancing your portfolio to deal with stock market corrections, and you can't really show that in Monte Carlo. So, 85% is okay, but keep in mind, if you're running these things online, if you find a free version of this online, these programs fail at taxation. So, a person that has a ton of money in retirement accounts that haven't been taxed yet, and they're withdrawing, say, $80,000 a year, is very different from a person that has a several different pools of money drawing 80000 a year. The person that's pulling everything out of their 401k, it hasn't been taxed yet, is having a much lower after-tax income. So you got to design your tax plan and your asset allocation first before these things can actually work right for you and tell you what your probability of success is. Thanks very much, Chad. We've got less than a minute. Any last-second plugs for the event tonight in Los Gatos at the Toll House Hotel, 638, 30 people can sign up at newfocusfinancial.com. Yeah, very specific results on, on how you blend different types of income, um, how you can look at taxation and retirement and say, okay, I've got to change my mindset from paying the lowest amount of tax today to I've got to make sure my taxes are low for the next 30-plus years that I'm going to be retired. And there's a lot of options under this new tax cut, so you don't want to miss it. Sounds good. It'll be a good event. Looking forward to hanging out with you. It's always a good time. It's always fun, good laughter, good insights, good information. And as I creep towards retirement, I'm the one who needs this information now more than anyone else. Thanks, Chad. Thanks, Rob. You can find Chad at newfocusfinancial.com. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. A lot of finance... And relationships with finance are behavioral. A lot of them are learned by our parents, sometimes positive, sometimes negative. For instance, my dad was a smoker. I chose not to smoke. All my brothers chose not to smoke. My father was college educated. We all chose to get college educated. Um, I, I think there's a lot of truth to with our parents. We either are or we aren't a reflection in a lot of ways. One of the areas that my father had some financial problems. He was a colonel in the United States Army. It was He didn't have really a good behavioral grasp of credit cards. My dad's highest salary when he retired 30-plus years ago was about $65,000 a year. Now, he got free housing and things like that, which is a pretty good perk until you retire and you don't have a house. So you got to plan for some of this. A lot of people who join the military get a, a one-time sign-up bonus. And you know what they tend to spend that money on? Something stupid, like a Corvette. Now, again, I'm judging. Keep in mind, I call Tesla's the Palo Alto Prius. I have an interesting relationship with finance. You do, too. One of the areas that I'm flawed is pretty similar to my dad with his approach to credit cards. My dad didn't quite... He, he would open up a credit card that he'd, like, he'd run up the charges, so to speak. Not in an evil way, just... He bought things that he didn't need. Power drills. My dad wasn't a power driller. My dad was a colonel in the Army. My dad was involved with upgrading the computers in the United States Army. He was a project manager. I learned a lot about project management from him. I learned a lot about people, relationships, and financial issues there. But his relationship with credit wasn't necessarily one that taught me a lot. Um, So to this day, I have no problem paying off my credit. What I have a problem with is using my credit card rewards. I love credit card rewards, but I don't like using them. 
I'll say things like, I'm going to take my credit card rewards and every year I'm going to put that money in my uh, uh, Roth retirement or my 401k or my, I'm going to convert my, I always have this great idea with it. I've got something like akin to about $14,000 in travel allocations. That's a lot of plane trips. And every year I'm like, ah, I'm going to hold off and use them next year. You know what stinks about that? Every now and then companies like Southwest says, well, we used to say that one mile, one Southwest credit card mile equaled $2 in tr- trips. And then they could change their policy. They could say one credit card mile equals $1.50 in trips. So they can get caught up in inflationary issues. They could actually deflate in value. Your Starbucks rewards that you get on your Starbucks loyalty card, those are dollars. That, that's money. It's like Bitcoin. It will go up and down in value based on what the management of the company wants to do with it. Same thing with credit card rewards. So I like rolling mine into the future. Sometimes I'll like give my points to charity and say, hey, someone, you know, you go bid a lot of money and help support your local school and you get a free flight on Rob Black. I get it. U.S. credit card industry has a major battle going on right now. The charge-off rate amongst credit card issuers in the first quarter increased the highest level in almost seven years. That's a warning sign. Danger, Will Robinson, danger. The figure is effectively a gauge of bad debt. How much credit card companies are willing to charge off? Now, I will tell you this. It's all math, and they feel pretty darn comfortable with this. Insurance companies, it's all math. They know that if you give me life insurance for $4 million and I kick over the next day, they lose. But it's all math to them. They know that there's a really good chance that I'm going to make it to 60. So I buy term life up until the age of 60, and then I'm like, eh, hopefully by age 60 I got enough money that I don't need life insurance. You insure what you can't afford to lose, right? Uh, so the figure of charge-offs is bad debt, and we're starting to see it pick up. Seven-year highs. The idea of it is something that we kind of have to grasp. It's seven years for late payments or accounts that have to go into a collection. That's a pretty big high. The amount of seriously delinquent credit card payments reached an all-time high. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, the, the amount of serious delinquencies hit an all-time low in the second and third quarters of 2016. That's almost exactly seven years after the recession ended. Now... Flash forward a little bit further, and you're starting to see the charge-offs creep higher. You know who tends to have the biggest problems with credit card debt? Are the inexperienced people using them, i.e. the millennials. The Merck credit reports can't fully explain uh, a big area of concern. 8% of outstanding credit card debt amongst Americans between 18 and 29 was delinquent by at least 90 days. Now again, millennials are enticed to get uh, affinity credit cards, travel cards, because they like experiences. I've got a Chase Sapphire Preferred, which gives me great uh, cash back or points back on restaurants. So I feel a little bit better. 3%. It's, it's, it's as good as you can get right now, kind of right. Now, there's some cards that have rolling categories that are 5% every month, but I don't like rolling categories. I don't like having to know this is the month to load up on groceries, this is the month to load up on trips. I don't like that. But when I start seeing delinquencies by 90 days, that's the highest level since early 2011, I'm starting to say, like, there's some stress, there's some cracks in the system. And younger people tend to get into the biggest problems with credit because they have the least amount of experience. 
Representative AOC Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Senator Bernie Sanders are calling for legislation that caps credit cards interest rates at 15%. I don't think that's the problem. I, I know, yes, there's a problem when it's 25% interest rates. But I, I think the problem is you shouldn't be carrying credit. I don't care if the rate's 15% or 25%. You should pay your balance every month so you don't have to, to hit dip in that 15 to 25%. I don't. Otherwise, I don't charge it. So, and I see companies like American Express have, you know, payment plans and things like that. I'm like, mm, if there's an interest rate tied towards it, I'm not interested. So, card issuers should become a little bit more vigilant because they're giving credit to too many people. We're giving credit to too many people. And it's a cycle that ebbs and flows a bit with tougher standards, weaker standards, tougher standards, weaker standards. Whether it be commercial mortgages, auto loans, credit card payments, um, it gets kind of screwy. With the U.S.-China trade war seemingly in full swing right now, the credit card industry should be watching more than ever for signs of how tariffs are going to hit the pocketbooks of Americans. A lot of companies like Walmart have had a lot of lead time to start shifting their demands away from China. And there should be some companies that get caught having not had a second plan. Tariffs on all Chinese imports will cost households about $2,000 a year in higher prices. And again, you mix that in with risky borrowers, you could start seeing how this could lead to more failures systemically in the financial system, which could create a crisis. I'm not calling for it. I'm just looking for it. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Come out, meet me tonight in Los Gatos at the Toll House Hotel, 630 to 830. CFP Chad myself will be talking income and retirement. This is a big issue. It's an issue of a lifetime. Don't mess it up. Sign up at Rob Black Show. Use the code RADIO25 to get in far free. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Black. I try to do my best to bring you a show that's dedicated to cool things like in what's happening in technology. How the demographics are... are, are changing the map of investments and investment ideas, whether it's how the millennials spend or how baby boomers retire or work longer. Those baby boomers, they keep working because they didn't really count on retirement happening quite the way it played out. And the longer they work, the more they take up someone's job or someone's first job. And that takes up time from them getting a second job, which leads to a third job, which leads to maybe a career. 1.9 million children ages 3 to 17 years old have been diagnosed with depression. First and foremost, how do you tell if a 3-year-old kid's depressed? 4.4 million children ages 3 to 17 have been diagnosed with anxiety. I get it. I think we're living in a fast-paced world, and I'll I'll be honest with you. My number one goal in this world is to cut the fast-paced out of my life, right? So I took a business ethics class in college, and... It was fantastic. It was a $400 textbook. And the teacher on the first day says, who wants to buy the business ethics textbook or who wants to buy Socrates Republic? And Socrates Republic was four ninety five paperback or something like that, right? Now you're saying, I think it's Socrates. No, it's Socrates. Um, and uh, the Republic is a Socratic dialogue written by Plato around 380 BC, and it talks a lot about business ethics. And you gotta kind of have to look for it. Um, 
It's about being a just man. I try my best not to hurt you. Google once had a thing where they said, you know, our, our company motto is do no evil. And then some of their employees were like, why are we selling our technology to Boeing who's making missiles to drop on from drones onto people? Some of them children. Circling back to children being depressed at age 3 to 17 is surreal to me. The best part about this, this teacher was there was no tests. What he did was after 15 weeks of class, he took you to dinner or lunch at a restaurant, and he paid. And he just talked to you to see if he, you got anything out of his class. Very first day of class, he was talking about business ethics. And he was talking about some things just don't make sense. And he basically, him and his wife, had a three-month-old child die. And uh, it was surreal because here we are, like, 18, 21-year-old kids in a business ethics class. And uh, he's talking about his death of his child. And uh, he said, sometimes things just don't make sense. And that was his way of processing it. I don't know how this all ties together, other than I'm trying to do my best for you. I'll fail at times, but I'm trying to do my best for you. One of the biggest questions I get from people is, how do I protect my investments? I don't think it makes sense for people to put money into a stock and see it go down in value. I think that's one of the toughest things for people to process. Now, when it goes up, you're like, woohoo! But when it goes down, you're like, I don't know what to do. You need to have a plan before you do it. So learn to protect your investments. I hate bonds. Bonds don't have a position of growth the way I see it. That's not completely true. But I think they're an important part of a portfolio. I hate having an emergency fund. I don't know why I've got six months of cash in on the sidelines. Until one day I go into work and they say, hey, you're being too ethic, ethical. We need you to sacrifice your morals. I go, I, I can't do that. So putting this all together, how do you protect your money? I don't want you to go crazy. I don't want you to lose your mind. I want you to have something that you could wrap it around. Is first and foremost, stay away from high fees. Because the fees are when the money goes away forever. The ongoing management fees are expensive sometimes. The commissions up front are expensive. That's why I don't like annuities. That's the number one reason I don't like annuities are the high fees associated with them. There's no guarantee that you're going to get money for a lifetime. There's a guarantee that you'll get your money back over your lifetime that you put in. But there's no guarantee that if you give them $1,000 that they're going to give you a million dollars over your lifetime. And I'll tell you what, a lot of the people who are selling annuities have never taken a class in business ethics. And they basically take what their, their bosses and their companies put in front of them. And I think one of the biggest abusers of it um, are some of the, the medium-sized firms. where they're, I've got a friend who sells insurance, and he's a sweet, sweet guy. And he, his kid is wonderful. His kid's very kind to make my kid. My kid plays soccer. And the other day, playing keeper, uh, he gave up a bad goal. I played keeper for 20 years, 19 years of my life. I gave many bad goals, but I didn't have a lot of emotions due to my father. So my kid has emotions because I connect with him. I try to. But this guy's son, you know, went up to my kid and you know, gave him a big hug because he was supposed to be keeper, but he got a concussion. And you're like, 10-year-old kid's getting concussions? Yeah. So he was really nice to my kid. And the dad's great, but the dad sells insurance, and he doesn't really have a grasp. He's trying to pick my brain. He's like, hey, Rob, you need insurance? I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. I got it. I do term life. He's like, well, I had a whole life. I'm like, well, I don't need money for my whole life. You know, 
I had uh, in-laws, grandparents, that uh, they lived to 92 and 95 years old. Did they need life insurance their whole life? Nope. You insure what you can't afford to lose. That's super important to grasp. Because whole life has big fees, and you have them for your whole life. I'd rather you buy term life insurance, which is the cheaper version of life insurance. It's very generic. It's based on when you die. And it's based on math that you're not going to die. It's tough to uh, oversell it. I don't like variable life insurance. And for the record, my grandparent in-laws, when they were 92 and 95 when they passed, they had a house in Southern California. They had an oil well in Southern California. They had land in Southern California. When they died, their, their three children that survived them didn't need their money because they had done everything in their life to save properly and keep fees and high commissions down. So how do you protect your money? You keep fees and high commissions down. You don't buy bad product. And again, my friend's uh, son plays on a kid's soccer team. Great guy. He just doesn't understand how insurance works, um, in my opinion. So he wants to see, he's like, hey, I'm a variable life. I could sell you variable life insurance. I'm like, I don't really need variable life because variable life is a combination insurance and combination investment. And that combination is where the high fees come in. I would rather buy term life and invest the rest. That's what financial experts do. But he's kind of more of a middleman. He's working at a firm that quite isn't a Goldman Sachs or not quite the accreditation of a certified financial planner. He's insurance. And it's a lot easier to get your insurance license. And I'm not going to say that anything else. But the ethics in selling insurance to me are become problematic. I go with Geico or USA. I don't need a life. I don't need an insurance agent. I don't need someone to come to my house and shake my hand and um, play golf with. I don't need a buddy. I'd rather go with lower cost product and invest the rest. Geico is the king of the call centers. USAA has a lot of call centers. USAA is one of those institutions that we created to keep costs low for the military. Maybe one of the best gifts my father gave me, other than life and his genetics, was that he gave me access to USAA. So I get low-cost car loans. I get low-cost investment products. I get low-cost home insurance because they're not in it for the business. They're not in it for the profit. They're in it to take care of their military uh, employees and family. Dependents. So how do you save money? How do you protect money? High fees are enemy number one, whether it be commissions or ongoing management fees. Less is more. So again, I don't need variable life insurance. Let me finish that thought. Because I have term life that covers the life insurance component that if I die, my kids and my family need the money. But on the other hand, I could rather get an S&P 500 index fund or an ETF or a mutual fund than mix the two. And I know that there's a component that, well, you if it goes down 100%, then you only lose 3%. That's not quite true. And the market's never gone down 100%. And the market hits all-time highs 7 out of 10 years. So why buy insurance if things go down when the market's hitting all-time highs 7 out of 10 years? It makes no sense. Remember, I, get, I started this conversation about ethics and the death of a child. It makes no sense. It's something you can't wrap your head around. Less is more if you want to save money. Um... I don't put a lot of creams on my body because I learned early in life that less is more. I don't do the Retin-A. I don't do wrinkle reduction. I, I just drink a lot of water, which is not free, by the way. It costs money every time you open your spigot. But I feel like it's a lot better for my skin than, than the chemicals that are, I'm putting on my body with 
Retin-A and sunscreens and such like that. So less is more. You don't have to have like a massive concentration of financial products in your life. Just keep it simple, stupid. And watch out for people who do excessive changes in their ideas. The more you trade, the more you hit taxable consequences and higher trading fees. That's how you save money. That's how you, you protect downside. That's where you start, at least. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Big event coming up tonight in Los Gatos at the Toll House Hotel, 630 to 830, about income and retirement and tax efficiencies. I'll talk about some stocks. You can find out more at Rob Black Show. Use code RADIO25 to come in for free, 630 to 830 tonight, Toll House Hotel. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Airlines are an interesting investment. Warren Buffett once invested in TWA Airlines, and they went bankrupt. And he's like, no more airlines for me. Looks like I picked a bad day to stop sniffing glue. It's a airplane reference. Anyhow, um, Department of Transportation came out and said something kind of interesting. The annual airline baggage fee report. I know you're saying, we have a report called the annual airline baggage fee report. And someone's in charge of it and someone gets paid for it and someone probably goes out and markets it. That's nuts. Nuts, I tell you. But the U.S. Department of Transportation's annual airline baggage fee report found that domestic carriers collected nearly $5 billion in baggage fees last year, up from $4.5 billion in 2017, and up from $1.1 billion a decade ago. Now, I've traveled with some bags before. Hey, 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 that's not a nice thing to call one of your exes. No, it's, when you travel with bags, it's, I don't know. Is that not one of the reasons we like Southwest? And we could all say it together, bags fly free. Um, given a choice, I'd rather fly with Southwest. Now, when going to Hawaii, uh, would I rather fly Alaskan Airlines or Southwest? Well, Alaskan Airlines or Alaskan Airlines and Hawaiian Airlines, they got meals and they serve food and they're, they, they play Hawaiian music when you get on board. But it ain't worth that extra 30% premium you're paying to fly them. Bag flies free on Southwest, so not only is the ticket cheaper, but the fact that Hawaiian charges you $30 a bag, and let's say you have a wife and two kids, so you try to pack everyone into three bags. Because Lord knows you got to bring sneakers with you that no one's ever going to wear sneakers in Hawaii. You're going to wear flip-flops and clogs or something like that, right? I don't even know what a clog is. Give me a break. But that's how you save money. You get loyal to the airline that's like cheap, maybe. You sign up for the frequent flyer programs. Typically, they're one way to potentially secure free but checked bags. That ain't bad. You buy a premium ticket, potentially, if you want to get other free bags. Um, but is it worth business class to fly to Hawaii? First checked bag on a domestic flight is going to cost you between 18 and 65 bucks, typically. You can also use credit cards. I've got a Hilton Amex rewards card. So every time I stay at a Hilton Resort, I get 17 times my points. Hilton Resort, Hilton Hotel. Plus, it gives me one free stay a year. It's a $450 card, but right there, that one free stay is probably $200. 
and the free bag, 30, right? And you get other perks involved. Um, I, I, I use cards wisely when I travel. But anyway, I just, isn't it a little bit nauseating that airlines are charging $5 billion to have bags fly? It is a little bit, right? You have to be with me on that one. So anyhow, and anyway, let's let's move to off this topic. Um, I, 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 one of the big stories out there, obviously, is the rising of tensions with China. And I've said before, and I'll say it again, World War III is going to be fought with likely China, maybe Russia, on an economic level, not necessarily on a nuclear bomb level. It's It's trade deals. It's the president waking up one day and saying, Huawei is no longer allowed to do business. Huawei is no longer allowed to do business in the United States. And you're like, whoa. And then how do you enforce that on companies and things like that? Becomes an issue. And how do they respond? China's got a, a great weapon that they can use against us. They buy a lot of our U.S. debt, which pushes the cost of down because it's all about supply and demand. They, they're like, we like the 2% returns. U.S. always pays their debt on time and uh, pays it back until we default. So they're selling that debt right now as a way of fighting a war with us. So that when the United States says, we want a $1 trillion infrastructure pro- uh, program, to borrow that $1 trillion in bonds, it'll be at 3% versus 2%. Keep in mind those numbers are soft numbers, and I'm not using them as real examples. It'll be more expensive to borrow, making the return on investment less. Are you with me? Are you against me? Do you see where I'm going out with this? World War III is going to be fought, very much so, in my opinion, on an economic front. And we might be in World War III at this point in time. Um, Trump's Huawei threat is a nuclear option, basically, to halt China's rise. We want 5G networks, right? Do you know the company that can build 5G networks the fastest and get the infrastructure in place? We just basically said, can't do business in the United States. So the struggle to contain Beijing could also hurt ourselves. Not with unintended consequences, because this is consequences we could see on the wall. This is going to push U.S. companies to say, okay, we want 5G. We're not allowed to work with this company who's Chinese, so maybe we'll work with Ericsson, who has really average product that they sell for a premium price. Or we could work with Nokia, Nokia, maker of rubber galoshes before they made uh, network equipment. And they, they, they just seem flaky. Trump administration action is a grave escalation with China. If fully implemented, the blacklist would put at risk both the company itself and the networks of their Huawei customers around the world as the firm would be unable to upgrade software and conduct routine maintenance and hardware replacements. It's pretty interesting. World War III on an economic front? It's kind of happening. At least we could call it World War 2.5 or something, right? We've got to come up with a cuter name than World War III. Um, this is a big one. This is going to lead to a lot of conversation. And, and the company that China could target is Apple. I own shares of Apple. I'm not thrilled that uh, the president is putting my retirement in the crosshairs of China's retaliation. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at Rob Black Show. Big event tonight in Los Gatos, Toll House Hotel. Sign up at Rob Black Show, 630 to 830. Use code RADIO25 to get in for free. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.